Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Music History Project. Today, we are going to be hearing from two members of one of the most famous female a cappella quartets there is, the Chordettes. Welcome to the Music History Project. We're your hosts. I'm Mike Mullins. Dan Del Fiorentino. And Ashley Allison. All of our content comes from the Oral History Program, which is sponsored by NAM, the National Association of Music Merchants. That collection is over 4,000 interviews and constantly growing. If you'd like to check out any of our other content that's not featured, head over to nam.org library. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Music History Project. Today, as Mike just said, we're going to be hanging out with two of the Cordettes, which is a fantastic American story of how the group of women from a uh, choral group at high school got together and became pop sensations in the very early days of rock and roll. So a really exciting story, and I'm so uh, glad that we have the opportunity to share it with you today. Yeah, and we're going to be hearing from two of the Cordettes, Carol Bushman and Dorothy Schwartz. Um, but there was more members than just two over the years, uh, including Ginny Osborne, Lynn Evans, Janet Ertel, Margie Latsko, Nancy Overton, Alice May Spielvogel, and Joyce Weston. And today, like I just said, we're going to be hearing from Carol and Dorothy, so it should be a really good time. And so to start off this podcast, we're going to hear a little bit about uh, how the group formed uh, from both Dorothy and Carol, and just uh, you know their beginnings of, of becoming this barbershop group and uh, traveling around and uh, all their fun stories about that. So here is uh, Dorothy first talking about growing up in her musical family, and then Carol talking a little bit about her background as well. Well, this is great. Dorothy and Carol, thank you so much for taking some time and being with us today. Pleasure. Pleasure to be here. Thank you for coming up to Wisconsin, to Sheboygan. <laughs> and it's not even too cold today. It's beautiful. You, you planned that beautifully huh? in May. <laughs> I brought the San Diego weather with me. <laughs> okay. Well, tell me, maybe we can start with you, Dorothy, if you don't mind. Uh, did you grow up here in Sheboygan? Born and raised here, yes. Um, was very active in music in high school and uh, loved music. Sang in several trios in high school. And um, after graduation, I got a call from, from uh, Ginny asking if I would be interested in singing with a group that she was starting. And that's how the, the quartet started. So you had mentioned that Jenny called you after high school. Is yeah, right? well, it, well, yes, in high school, our senior year. And uh, we, had, we had graduated, and she called during the summer asking if I would be interested in coming over to one of the girls' homes. She has a group, and they needed a lead singer. And would I try out? And the blend seemed to be good, and that was the start. So was it Jenny's idea to form this group? Jenny's, Jenny's father was the president of the Barbershop Society, 
and she was going to all these barbershop shows and fell in love with the barbershop music and thought it would be kind of interesting to try to get a girls group together. And we sang the same music as the men, except in a different range. But uh, it, it, was, it was fun. And about what year was that? 46. We learned two songs and we appeared on the first barbershop show in Sheboygan. We knew, only knew two songs and after that we were invited to many other barbershop shows around the state and then eventually around the country. That's so, really amazing, yeah. yeah. Now where does the name come from? Did they already pick the name when you joined them? I think it was just a combination of thoughts, chord, and the feminine ets. <laughs> <laughs> That's neat. Well, maybe we can uh, digress a little bit and start with your background and get up to uh, the Cordettes history with you. Where did you grow up? I am a Sheboygan. I, uh, we didn't have any professional musical experience. We sang. It was my mother and my sister and I would sing while we did the dishes. And on, on Sundays when we'd travel to Grandma's house, the four of my mother and dad and, and the two of us, we always sang, sang a lot. And in those days when uh, we'd get together on somebody's birthday, especially the women, like uh, aunt's birthdays and all the women, everybody would sing. You'd sing. Today, you know, it's the same kind of unusual world. Well, maybe not. I don't know. I don't go to ladies' aid groups in the afternoon anymore. <laughs> so I, uh, I actually joined a year later, in '47. The uh, the girl I replaced actually ended up to be my sister-in-law. There were two two sisters in the group, Alice and Janet, the bass. Well, Alice is the one I replaced, and she um, was getting married and going to move out of town. And then they were looking for uh, somebody to replace her. And fortunately, I sang in one of those trios with Dorothy in high school. And I had the right range. I ended up singing a baritone part, you know. And uh, that was just fine, and I just kind of fit in pretty well. S singing in groups, you have... Uh, you don't have that solo bit in your head. You have that fitting in group with it, you know. And the barbershop thing was just wonderful. Here we sing, we sing without accompaniment. So you hear each other and that's, I think, how we, we got to our blend of small voices because you hear everything. You're not covered, it up, not covered up at all with a band and a rhythm, you know. And... Uh, so that's how that started, and like she said, like Dorothy said, we traveled all over the country. One weekend we'd be in Louisville, the next week we'd be in Oklahoma City, and that was it was fun. They would we always had a host and hostess would come and meet us at the airport, or you know train. That's right, we were on trains. <laughs> at the, at, that was the forties, yeah, and uh, they'd come and meet us and wine and dine us, and then we had our show, and then we had what they call an afterglow, where all the quartets sing again. And then we had the after afterglow, where we'd <coughs> run around <laughs> singing all over town, wherever. 
and that was the real fun part. I think that was that was the most fun was the barbershop stuff before we became professional. Then it was a lot of work, rehearsals all, all the time. Now, in the barbershop days, were there a lot of other women groups? There were other women groups, yes. But, but there was no Sweet Adeline Society. That was the women, the women's organization. That started after <coughs> after we were already in New York. But there were a couple, yeah. There were a couple, several in Chicago uh, and uh -huh. Ohio. And can you uh, tell us some of the material that you sang back in, in back in those days? Well, they were all the old, old songs. Uh, Wait uh, till the sun shines, Nelly. Um, down by the, the old mill stream. And, uh, uh, harvest moon. <laughs> the songs um, you would see in period pictures, you know, around the 1900s, mm -hmm. actually, is I think where most of those came from, okay. way back. Familiar song, the kind, the ladies, the ladies' aid would get together and sing. Everybody knew those songs, yeah. and those were familiar songs, and that's what... They're so songs that you could harmonize with. Tell me a little bit about how you... Uh, we're saying a little bit about how the group came together as far as finding your parts and finding that great harmony and that what we now know as the cordette style. How did that get developed, do you think? Did, it just, did you practice it, did, or did it, it just sort just, of come natural? It just happened. We were very fortunate, very fortunate that we all blended very well. I guess it doesn't happen that often. But yeah, the lead was perfect for Dottie, uh, <coughs> and this, our bass was be beautiful, low, low voice. And Ginny uh, was a soprano, so it, and Dottie knew where I was saying, so then yeah. <laughs> she brought me in, and that worked out fine. We were all in the right range. <laughs> that just happened, I guess. We had help from... Um, a man called Milton Dachin, who was the musical director for the barbershop chorus in Sheboygan. We got to know him through King Cole, Ginny's father. And he was instrumental at the very beginning to put us together as far as blending. And he arranged several of our songs and um, we were on Ted Mack's Amateur Hour, and we won a watch, which we gave to Milton as a thank you for all he did for us. And um, it's things that happened years ago that I don't think happen nowadays anymore, where people kind of work together. But uh, it was a nice relationship with Milton. <clears throat> What was um, Jenny's father's occupation? Was he in the music industry? He was president of Kingsbury Brewery. Ah, okay. He was also an officer. I think I, by the time I joined you, he was the president of the International Barbershop Organization. So he, wow. he was very active in very that. Active. And I think he, he had got more new chapters to join. It was really the the start of the 
the boom of the so society. I don't know what happened to it in the meantime. It's kind of falling <laughs> apart. Yeah. People are too busy now, it seems, to be involved with singing. You are listening to the Music History Project podcast dedicated to the Cordettes. And this is really kind of a fun episode because it really takes us back to the pre-rock and roll era and the um, changing of musical styles after World War II. And I think that so many clever musicians and singers were coming up with different ideas of how to get the American public's attention. And the novelty of uh, a women singing barbershop style uh, was certainly one of them. And I think that uh, their niche obviously turned into a, a major uh, success. And, you know, in addition to the two songs that we always think of when we think of the Cordettes, uh, Sandman and Lollipop, I wanted to put your attention to a couple of my favorite songs that they've done. If you have the chance to, uh, to listen, they did a pretty good version of Eddie My Love and Just Between You and Me. And then there was another one a little bit later on in their career called the Deep Blue Sea that I think is worth checking out. So very talented ladies who all um, started in uh, choirs in high school, and um, that's when they got together. And interestingly enough, the reason that these two interviews took place was because their choral director was a man by the name of Charles Fahaber, who ran a music store there in Sheboygan, Wisconsin, called Wart Broad Music, which is still there. Uh, his son and wife uh, ran the store after Charles passed away. And his son, Mick, good friend of ours here at NAM, helped us arrange these interviews because it was such an important part of his family story. And of course, the story of the store that, uh, that the founder was helping these, uh, these young singers uh, start their careers. So it's really a neat connection to the music products industry and uh, something that uh, the music store there is awfully proud of. So coming up, uh, the, uh, the next segment, we're going to be talking a little bit about um, the Author Godfrey Show. And interestingly enough, they don't go into a whole lot of detail about the importance of that program. So I thought I'd just take a second to tell you that Arthur Godfrey was a very well-respected broadcaster. He actually started in radio in 1934 and um, got to the point of such popularity that he started the uh, Arthur Godfrey Talent Scout program in 1946 which went on to television and then ran all the way until 1958. Along the way, he introduced the American public to an awful lot of amazing talent. And interestingly enough, as a side note and another connection back to the music products industry, Mr. Godfrey liked to play the ukulele, and when he did, it was almost an exact correlation with the success of the rebirth of the ukulele's popularity in the early 1950s. He was on the cover of TV Guide magazine and, and Time magazine, I believe, and others playing the ukulele, which prompted many people to walk down to their music store and ask for one. So it's kind of fun that we're able to uh, point to specifically Mr. Godfrey for the uh, reoccurrence of the popularity of the ukulele. Very cool stuff. So let's jump back into the interview with Carol and Dorothy, and they'll be talking about the Arthur Godfrey Show. Was there a transition between barbershop music and popular music or other songs, or do you think that... 
they always sort of sang the same songs. It was just popular tunes came around. Well, when we were on the Arthur Godfrey show, we were on three and a half years, he wanted us to sing Barbershop. He had a female singer, a male singer, Julius LaRosa, and then a male quartet, and we were the female quartet, and he wanted us to sing Barbershop. That's what he had heard us do originally, and he wanted us to stick to that. So when we left the Godfrey show, uh, Archie Blyer was gone at the same time. And Archie always wanted to put an accompaniment with us. So now was a big chance. We didn't have to stick to the barbershop anymore. And the second song uh, we recorded, and Archie arranged it. And he had heard us do this bum 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 bum, which is very, very popular with barbershoppers. But they only did the one thing, you know. And that's why he, people loved us to hear it. So he started the song with all the the little bell cords, as we call them. And um, second record we made was Mr. Sandman. So it went from there, and Archie Weyer picked all our songs and made all the arrangements. And that, that was our transition, of course. Then Mr. Sandman got so big, so when we did make a pair of song appearances anywhere, of course we had to do that one. So then we had to have a band behind us too. <laughs> but most places that we would sing there was one, you know, a fair or a nightclub, whatever. That's very interesting. So Archie Blyer was the one that got us from barbershop to the others. But we always had put barbershop in our, in our shows. They loved that too. When we started with the Godfrey show, Arthur fell in love with our harmony. We won the Talent Scout show, which gave us four days on, the Talent Scout show was on a Monday night that gave you Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday morning on his radio show. And he loved us so much that he was using up our limited repertoire <laughs> because we were planning to only sing one song per program for the hour. We were singing two and three songs, <laughs> and we were afraid we were going to have to start repeating. But we found an, um, uh, Archie found a man who learned how to do, arrange barbershop music and um, kept us supplied in in music. And you know, Arthur had a following, unbelievable, from what I've been given to understand like 50 million people listened to him every day. He was on radio and television. Television, uh, the Talent Scout show on Monday night, and Arthur Godfrey and the Little Godfreys on Wednesday night. And um, it was fun. I enjoyed it very, very much. Sounds like a lot of experience. We had to learn how to roll ice skate, to roller skate. They rented the Madison Square Garden on a Friday night and people had to go there at, when the skating rink closed to the public, we went in like 11 o'clock and skated until 12 or one o'clock with professional skaters. Some of these people on the show had never been on ice skates. As a result, they had to learn how to ice skate and um, 
we were pretty lucky we coming from Sheboygan. and we had all been on skates. We, yeah. <laughs> Some had, most of them had never been on skates. They often also tried to have a swimming show with Buster Crab, but that never panned out. <laughs> I don't remember that one. <laughs> don't you? Yeah. No. Okay. They used to rent the um, pool at uh, the Lexington Hotel. Oh yeah, I remember. So. Going there, but I didn't remember that. Yeah, we never did it, thank goodness. It never did it, no. I didn't want to be on television in my studies about Davis. And we had some nice relationships with the rest of the people on the Godfrey program, with the people in the band and the other singers. It was a nice association. Yeah. Well, did you guys record before you were on Author Godfrey, or? No. Oh, but we did a number of barbershop albums while we were on the Godfrey Show with Columbia. And we did some uh, music with Arthur. Oh, yeah. Background music. Little things we did with Arthur. He liked to <coughs> sing with us. You know, uh, rather than singing alone, he found out what, a f what fun it is to sing with harmony. We had mm. candy and cake, which mm -hmm. was, did very well. That was recorded. Sweet Angie. The Christmas, Christmas tree, tree angel. I have that, never heard that played ever. No, I don't think so. <laughs> I'd love to get a record of it. <laughs> and then if it wasn't for your father, would your mother be your mother? So remember dad on Mother's Day. Yeah, yeah. That was my husband's favorite song. <laughs> and Arthur really enjoyed singing with it. Well, that was a fun song. Anyway. Well, you know, historically, we look back at Arthur Godfrey as a great promoter of music. Is that how you found him to be? Hmm. He, was a, of him that way. he was a good salesman. He was the best salesman that CBS ever had. He, I think he yeah. kept CBS afloat for many, many years. Sponsors loved having him because he ridiculed their product, which in those days, I guess you didn't do that, but... Uh, it worked for him. Yeah. The sponsors were lined up, waiting to get, have part of his show. Yeah, he, <laughs> it was fun. We are listening to Carol Bushman and Dorothy Schwartz on the Music History Project. Figured this would be a good time to mention that they have this full interview together posted on the NAM website in its entirety. So if you head over to namnamm.org slash library and search either Dorothy or Carol's name, it'll pop up for you. And so we're going to get back to their interview now and uh, ha have them talk a little bit more about just uh, their career in the Cordettes and also kind of how they uh, how they came into their career and uh, some of the fun uh similarities that they had in eventually getting into the cordettes. So here is uh, Dorothy and Carol. Tell me about the first uh, recording session. Were you both on the first recording session and what was that? The barbershop, singing barbershop. That, oh. Was that in we Chicago? Were... Pardon? No. Would that have been in Chicago? No, no. Columbia Records in New York. In New York. So in the studio, we had two people in the control room. You know, they're not used to that. <laughs> Nobody else there. Except one time, do you remember, there was a man sitting in the control booth. And uh, he listened to the whole session. And when they came out, they introduced us. They said, do you know who they said? It was Benny Goodman. He stayed for our whole session. <laughs> 
That must have been exciting. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And, and so tell me about how Mr. Sandman came about. You had said how the song was introduced. Yes, actually it had been recorded. It was on the other side of, oh, who's going to remember this one? Vaughn Monroe's They Were Doing the Mambo. That was a hit. Sandman was hid, hidden on the other side of it, and he did it as a slow ballad. So the treatment Archie gave it was completely different with the bones. The bones, yeah. And uh, I know we were singing, I think it was in Vegas, because we started doing um, clubs and whatever, traveling then, when we recorded for uh, Archie. And um, at, he, he then was married to our base, Janet. Janet and Archie were married. So she would talk to him just about every day, and he would tell us how that song is taken off, you know? Just got a report from Detroit or Cleveland or something. It's really going, and we'd get the report every day. <coughs> oh, wow. <laughs> it was quite exciting. Not only singing in Las Vegas for the first time, but uh, having a record take off nationally. So that's how that one got going. It just spread. It was a catchy arrangement. Thank you, Archie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Were you on that original recording too? With, no, I had left the group. Um, I was married in 49 and we were expecting our child in 53. And I left uh, December 31st of 52 and our son was born in March. I left the group to get back to the real world. <laughs> was that a good ride for you? I beg your pardon? Was that a good ride for you being with the Cordettes? Was it a ride? Well, it was it enjoyable. For oh you? yes, very much so. Very much so. We met a lot of interesting people. Very nice people th through barbershopping. Everybody was your friend, and um, no regrets. No regrets. With our traveling all over the country at these barbershop shows, we had a tremendous <coughs> following. And when we won that Godfrey Talent Scout show, they were overwhelmed with, with telegrams because we had these fans all over the country and, and they just had, they never saw anything like it. The you know, reaction, yeah. Going back to winning the Talent Scout show, I was telling you that we were, they had us booked for three, night, three days on the morning radio show. And Arthur liked the sound so much that he flew into Chicago to listen to us on Friday. He asked us to stay over on for Friday, and he listened to the program, or he broadcast, but we were there in New York on Friday. And um, he made arrangements to have us stay with the with Arthur and the the family Arthur Godfrey and his friend um, he asked if we would like to become little Godfrey's on Friday which kind of knocked us all over <laughs> we couldn't imagine here we were from Sheboygan Wisconsin this was supposed to be a hobby nothing permanent and here now Arthur made arrangements he liked us so much that he wanted to keep us 
as a little Godfrey. So um, I think we had mixed emotions at the time. Yes, we did. I mean, wow. <laughs> I, move, stay here, don't go home, you know? <laughs> well, the other girls were, were married and they had, had families. I was single at the time, but um, they're big decisions. And I, to begin with, when, we, when I first started with the group, I was working in the business office at the telephone company and I loved my job, I loved my boss, and with all the barbershop singing that we were doing, I was having to ask off days for working uh, so I could, could travel with the group. And after a while, Mr. Klazatsky said, Dorothy, you're going to have to make a decision. And that's when uh, I, I had I, I, <laughs> I was sitting on the ch on this chair thinking, here I'm single, I've got a good job. Do I do I take the the chance if the work if the group doesn't work out well, I'll be without a job. <laughs> the other girls have husbands to take care of them, but decision was made and um, it, it worked out fine. <laughs> Another a funny thing there is I had been after high school I had been going to school in Chicago working and going to a radio school down there Columbia and I was down there I don't know how long let's see almost two years I guess and I for some reason I came back to Sheboygan and I got a job at the telephone company. That was after I left. After you left, I took her place, sort of, I guess. I don't know. Quit following <laughs> me. <laughs> so uh, I was there for a while, and uh, and then uh, I was approached for the uh, for the group. And uh, well, I quit right away because I wasn't that happy. I didn't. I wasn't there that long, and we were going to make a trip to uh, New England. Mm -hmm. We were going to yes at the time. So I. Uh, I could, and uh, Mr. Klazowski, after this, anybody that uh, tried out for a, uh, came for a, a job, first thing he's going to ask, do you sing? If you sing, forget it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> he had enough of that. <laughs> <laughs> By the time I was all trained and knew exactly what to do. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit of um, what happened after Mr. Sandman, and how how long did you stay with the group? Uh, well, we kept going until the early '60s, so a long time. Because I joined when '53, huh? '53, and well, well, I was singing with them before, but I stayed another ten another ten years or so. Yeah, and we traveled all over. We did. We did Europe, and we we did Bermuda, and uh, what's that place? <laughs> it's right off of Venezuela and South Carolina. I mean, we were all over the place, <laughs> besides the fact of traveling in the United States at clubs, and, and uh, it was some really met great people. We did a lot of uh, things with George Burns, too, and he was a lot of fun. And uh, we did like a month at it. When you do Vegas, you do a whole month at a time. We did that a couple times with him. And then he also did a, a theater in the round in Connecticut. 
So he was out there with all our friends then. And that's very interesting because you've got people all the way around you. You know, it's fine when you're a soloist. You can just turn around a little bit. So we had some neat movements where we this way and then all of a sudden we just turn and face the other way. We'd have to figure out exactly when we were going to do these things. That was an experience, but fun. Another one that was out up there with uh, George Burns, uh, he was in there rehearsing for the following week, James Garner. And every night after our show, James Garner was there by himself. So I, he was in a two-person show rehearsing. So then he'd always come along with us and we'd all go out to eat somewhere. And I tell you, you sit down for a couple hours with George Burns and James Garner and you have a wonderful time. <laughs> I bet. Yeah. And sure was. Yeah, that's really neat. How did the material develop over time? After Mr. Sandman, how, how did uh, you learn or uh, find, material? find more material? Actually, uh, people that write the music often have somebody promoting or taking their songs to record companies. So Archie was got the music and he would figure out what he thought would be good for us. And then he did all the arranging too. And uh, we did uh, we did an album, songs from movies. They were all very familiar songs from hit movies. And we had this 24-piece orchestra and Archie's arrangements, and they were just just fantastic. The the, the orchestra arrangements, yeah. And I was listening to that album the other day, and. Uh, we don't even need to sing. The music in the background, <laughs> wow! <laughs> the harps, violins, any kind of instrument. That was uh, that was great. That was a beautiful thing. But it's the arrangements, Archie, Archie Blyer. Well, I sure hope you guys are enjoying this uh, podcast. We uh, really were thrilled to have the opportunity to talk to these two ladies and to glean these amazing stories and just the uh, the staying power of their songs. Uh, being in movies and TV shows and all of that is just uh, uh, icing on the cake for them and uh, a pleasure to hear and, and learn from. Uh, unfortunately for us, we lost Dorothy. Uh, she passed away in 2016, and um, I really developed a really nice relationship with her. We exchanged cards several times a year, and uh, when her husband, who came to the interview, passed away, um, we had very long chats on the phone for several weeks. It was really interesting and, and meaningful to me. A very lovely lady, uh, absolutely a delight, and uh, we all miss her very, very much. And so we're going to wrap up this podcast and interview uh, with Carol and Dorothy, just them uh, reflecting a little bit more on their career and uh, life with with the Cordettes and afterwards. Also, uh, keep your ear out for the classic pop of Lollipop that you'll hear Carol do, even though she states that she did not do it during the recording, but she does a fantastic job in my opinion. So let's get to this last segment of Dorothy and Carol. And where did Lollipop come from? That had also been out. Somebody had had done it. But it was kind of, uh, in variety, there were the 
categorized music. There was a pop music, country and western, and rhythm and blues. And that was in the rhythm and blues category. And, uh, and somebody had brought, brought him the music, and he thought, we'd, well, he made the arrangement, and it worked out very well, very well for us. They've actually used it in a couple TV shows lately. We got a, we got a statement. Andy Williams bought Archie's library, which includes us. And Andy recorded for Archie also. So when we uh, when we hear when we get that nice little check twice a year, they list exactly where everything comes from. We have we had like twenty five dollars from New Zealand and thirty five dollars from South Africa, but then um, then they also use them in television shows or in movies. And the, in fact, the last statement there were two movies in there. Hmm. Now I can't remember what they were. <laughs> Oh, what was it? The one, uh, it's a roller skating movie with uh, Drew Barrymore. Whip it. I, I don't know, but it, that's what it was. <laughs> Girls roller skating, roller derby, roller derby thing. Whip it. And the other one is in France. And they mentioned to us that if it's, if it's only in France, they don't have to pay us. But if they distribute it worldwide, then we're in on that, and they very nicely distributed worldwide what it is. <laughs> I don't know if they'll ever see it, but anyway, it was, it was there, which is very, very neat. After all these years, it's amazing. Yeah, that is amazing. Well, I guess Stan, it was in Stand By Me, I think. Yes, quite yes. A, quite a big hit that movie was. Right, right. So, yeah. And that brought back a lot of popularity to the group, I know, at that time. Yes. reintroduced you to a new audience right. and that sort of thing. Uh -huh. That must be exciting. Oh, yes, yes. It's amazing. <laughs> you, who would ever think, you know, after all these years, that it's ho holding up. So who did the, the pop? It wasn't one of us, but I can do it. <laughs> I actually think one of the girls in the group did it uh, when we were performing at uh, nightclubs or something like that. <laughs> and that, that's the girl that replaced uh, Janet on the road when we traveled because Janet married Archie Blyer. He had this very successful record company. So she traveled with him or wanted to be with him. She still did all the recording with us. But another girl recorded us, who had a very good sense of humor and a wonderful pop for lollipop. <laughs> <laughs> so did Janet then quit the group to have a family as well? Oh no, she was older than than the other th the other three of us were the same age, mm. and she was uh, and it, her sister that I replaced was a little closer to our age, but Janet was older. She was older, and uh, so she already had. Uh, daughter. How old was Jackie? About eight years old, I think, when you started. Jackie must have been about eight or nine. Yeah. So by the time we hit New York, what about four years later or so? So she was 12 or whatever. So, no, Janet had her, her family when she quit. She just retired to stay home with Archie. Her daughter was, uh, her daughter, by the way, married one of the Everly brothers, Phil Everly. 
and the Everly Brothers recorded for Archie, too. Is that right? Uh huh. Very interesting. I did not know that. <laughs> and what about Jenny? How long did she stay with the group? Well, let's see. She had a, a baby while we were singing. She left just before, and she could kick herself forevermore, just before we did Mr. Sandman. <laughs> she organized the group, got us all together for years and years. And, and then when uh, she had, uh, she was gone for about three years. And I had mine later, but it only took me three months. <laughs> and I was back. <laughs> but I think she, she thought she was going to retire and have a family. And then when the girl that replaced her, oh, oh that's the problem with females. Then she got pregnant. <laughs> and Ginny was very happy to come back again. And then she stayed with us till, the, till we quit, decided to, to call it a day. I think her, actually her mother was ill and lived in Palm Springs. Now that is the, the wife of the president of the Barbershop Society, also Kingsbury Breweries. Yeah. They retired in Palm Springs and her mother was ill and she decided she, uh, she, should, she wanted to be with her mother. And we were doing fine at the time. But then I decided I, I was ready to stay home. My little girl was three years old and uh, then we just kind of decided to give, a, give it up. And we were very fortunate. We didn't wait till we started going downhill, you know, and fall, <laughs> and nobody wanted to hear us anymore. We quit at a, at a good time. We were still sort of in demand. Yeah, that's very interesting. Yeah, that's a good place to quit. You know, when you're talking about Mrs. Cole, when we first started, she used to be our chauffeur. She used to take us to all these barbershop shows and um, we'd have to split the cost of the gas and the, the hotel and whatever else. And the bottom line divided by four was not very much. <laughs> no. Well, we weren't giving, we weren't paid very much in these no, barbershop we shows, but we always made out okay. Actually, as much as we probably would have made at the telephone company. <laughs> well, <laughs> for, I don't know about for, that. For go, <laughs> going for one one night of fun and singing. Yeah, <laughs> maybe not. <laughs> but I was with the group seven years, and I felt seven years was enough. And Bill and I have wanted to have a family, and I didn't want to. stretch myself as far as performing and worrying about a baby. So um, we decided to move back to Sheboygan and very happy that we did. Mm. I have a son and a daughter now and five grandchildren. <laughs> so. And lots of great memories. Lots of <laughs> memories. Talking about memories too, we were on Fred Waring's program in Sheboygan he came to give a concert and he asked us to perform with him. We were on his television, his radio program twice. Uh, we were with Don McNeil uh, on the radio. We, were, we got around. Oh yeah. <laughs> and at the very beginning people didn't, they liked us but they didn't know what to do with us. And. Um, Arthur fell in love with us, and that was our start. 
Yeah, that's amazing. What a great story. Are you surprised when um, when you hear the cordettes in the same breath as the early rock and roll movement and so on? I mean, that those pop hits came out about the same time rock and roll did. And when you listen to an oldie station that's playing rock and roll, they're also playing the cordettes. Does that sort of surprise you, or how does that make you feel? That is surprising, really. <laughs> Since they do have the different categories, I... I know uh, Lollipop always showed up in the rock and roll area, but that had come from there, too, originally. I can't remember the name of the, the two people that did that. Rue? No, I don't know. <laughs> I, try. I don't want to be wrong. But uh, I don't know. Very interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Do you guys have anything to add that we maybe didn't cover? Right. I think maybe Ed had the Cordettes made the first ever music video. Oh, the first music video. There was another thing they didn't know what to do with. <laughs> That's right. It was uh, uh, a song, A Girl's Work Is Never Done. <clears throat> and we recorded it. And then uh, Arthur thought, Arthur, Archie, decided that, or I don't know who came up with the idea of having doing it as uh, with a video. And here we are, one is ironing and one is doing something else, and then I remember one lion I had, and then the dog I had to feed. And then you hear, the, then you see the dog barking and running out, and uh, it, it was real cute, but there again, they didn't know what to do with it. They were gonna show it in some uh, outdoor theaters. You know, it was almost like years and years ago when they used to have the main feature and a comedy and a newsreel and all those things. And uh, never did much. <laughs> but it was one of the first. You were just a little early for MTV, I think. I guess so, yeah. yeah. <laughs> a lot early for MTV. He was, Archie was way ahead of his time. Yeah, it's an early concept for uh -huh. that. Yeah, very interesting. So that will conclude our podcast today about the quartets. Um, such a fantastic story of them. And, uh, you know, even just hearing all their life of, of, you know, going in and out of the groups and with their families and growing their families. It's such a great story. Um, I have to say my favorite uh, use of the, one of their songs is Mr. Sandman in Halloween H2O. It just adds... It's a completely different uh, tone than you would ever imagine that song being in, and it just adds a nice creepy factor to it. <laughs> so that would be my favorite use. Well, I sure appreciate you guys tuning in and listening to this. It gives us an opportunity to uh, play these amazing stories from the NAM Oral History Program, and these two ladies were just so lovely, and and uh, it was a delight to uh, hang out with them and, and capture this story. Uh, so on that theme of uh, favorite placement of a cordette song, it has to be, without a doubt, Lollipop from the movie Stand By Me. Okay, I think both of your picks are better than mine, because for me, whenever I hear Mr. Sandman, I don't know why, I just think of a mattress commercial, and I don't remember what brand it was or anything, so it's not like it even does any good being in my brain, but that's my favorite placement, I guess, of a cordette song. Um but anyway, thank you very much to everyone that listened, stopped by. Be sure to tune in in two weeks for our next episode of the Music History Project. And if you have ideas for future episodes, always feel free to shoot us an email at library at nam.org. And until next time, bye bye
Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Music History Project. This has been Mike Mullins. Dan Del Fiorentino. And Ashley Allison. If you like what you heard today, please subscribe on iTunes and leave us some feedback. If you have recommendations for future episodes, just shoot us an email at library at nam.org.